This is the Horse Radio Network. Safety in eventing was thrust into the spotlight again this week. So listen in to hear why and what's being done about it. Also, of course Wonder Woman is a real equestrian. In episode 10, we also share some tips on bringing along green horses and how you can get a DUI on a horse. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Magazine, a podcast where three horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to to Happy Hour! I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Carolyn Culbertson, and welcome to episode 10 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, uh, Jess, I know that you are not drinking these days because you have a baby in your belly, um, which is such a weird thing to think about. <laughs> is that weird for you still? Because it's weird for me. Um, but you're not drinking alcohol as a responsible human should not do when they have a baby. Um, so you have some interesting mocktails that can also be made into cocktails for us this week please explain yes um so this past week we had a party actually for baby hudson and we did a kind of a cool little bar thing where we had mimosas and you could kind of spice up your mimosa with different things so i did the mocktail i actually used Lacroix, like a sparkling water the lime flavor with some cranberry juice and then you could put berries in it and everything. So that was very good. That was my mocktail, but a lot of my friends would put it with the champagne and they did the typical like orange juice. You can do apple juice, you can do cranberry juice. And we just had like a whole kind of mimosa bar set up. So that was, that was a fun drink of the week. Cute. That's I, know. I love that. I didn't know. I never thought about cranberry juice with champagne. That sounds so really good. freaking good. It's a really if you, oh, it's a good fall drink too. I've uh you could use like apple cider or apple juice, you know, ooh. with mimosa. Like for, you know, if you want to get your Thanksgiving drinking on early. <laughs> and instead of and Which I've we even, do. <laughs> of course. And I've even done it where I've put like brown sugar on a plate and you can like salt the rim with the brown sugar and put a cinnamon stick in it and like make it super folly. Ooh, one yum. Thing, yeah, one thing that I did for the holidays, I think a couple of years ago, um, because I don't do any cooking for any holiday gathering. It's just You don't at all? You I just show up? I, no, I bring the That's what I, I bring like. the party. <laughs> I bring my hunger and the alcohol. I'm a really oh great guest. Gosh. Do you guys want to have me over? Um, no. So I did champagne with um, pomegranate seeds in the bottom of the champagne flutes. And then I think oh. I did like like the coarse brown sugar around the rim. You know what I'm talking about where it's like ground yeah. a little thicker. Um, so, yeah, I did that around the rim. Um, same thing as like what Justine was saying. And they were like a huge hit. And then you can also, if you want it to be like a little bit more flavored, you can just pour a little pomegranate juice into the um, champagne. And then it's like a little more pomegranate E. I liked just the plain champagne with pomegranate seeds, like a fun surprise at the bottom. Um, and yeah, so, and that was like a huge hit and it was like very, I don't know, it's really pretty. Like it's a very good drink to present. Um, and it's good to do it early because I find that at those holiday parties, like when you put all this effort into making really beautiful drinks after like the third one, nobody notices how beautiful they are. 
Yeah. No, and that's what, and that's why we did a whole different bar area so that you could pick like your kind of your own cocktail you're wanting. So, and it's fun with the berries, but I never thought of the pomegranates. I should have done that. Yeah, I also liked idea. that you said Lacroix the right way because I was that girl that said. Oh no. Lacroix. No. Oh. No. Speaking of which, I've I've done a lot of like testing of like different. I like sparkling water a lot, but the grapefruit Lacroix is really good too. That one is really good. Yeah, it's Lacroix. No, it's definitely Lacroix. No, it's not. That one is so good. And then there's the um, it's cute. It sounds gross, but it's cucumber and blackberry. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. one of our favorites. We we always joke that like we should buy stock and seltzer because it's we get we go to target and we'll get like by the caseload like six or seven cases of sparkling water like I don't really even drink it's probably my teeth are probably gonna fall out of my head because I don't ever drink regular water I only drink sparkling do water. the do uh, the lime with the and it's just a splash of cranberry juice oh, and it's it's good. so good it's really oh good God. We that drink so much LaCroix that our in-laws bought us a soda stream maker. So now we make our own seltzer water at home. <laughs> no, Okay. So I have a question about that. Is yeah. that as good as LaCroix? I can't, ever, I can't get it to, I can't get it to be as good. So I just buy it. No, yeah. It's not as good. And they sell like the little, you know, flavors for it too. But um, like you could buy like flavor syrups to put in your soda stream containers, but it's not as good. But is cost effective because LaCroix, like no, when you're buying like expensive. five cases a week, I know. So, see, I don't it... drink it as much as you two. Like, I drink it like Man. it's a cocktail. I am a guzzler. I know, me Man. too. And what I like about the Soda Stream is it, like, it's like a half gallon bottle. So, I literally just pack them and like bring them to the barn with me because I'm high maintenance and can't drink like normal water. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> You're no. like the one girl at the table no. when you go out to dinner with like a big group of people and every the I'll have this sparkling water. And I'll have this sparkling like, water. Do you want That's me. Yes. tap or bottled? And everyone is like tap. And Justine is like, mm, no. I'll, I'll take the no. Perrier, please. Yeah. <laughs> the $15 bottle of Perrier. Yeah, that's for me. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, that's super typical. But I love it. That's a great idea. And I have now a bunch of like wedding party showery things coming up. So I think I'm going to do the mimosa bar. That sounds pretty good. Pretty, pretty party friendly. So thanks for that, Jess. That's a good one. No problem. This episode is presented by EcoGold, a leader in saddle pad innovation. Known for their non-slip, shock-absorbing saddle pads, half pads, and protective horse boots. Trusted by Olympians. All right, Jess, so what news do you have for us this week? Uh, I actually have some good news, two different ones. One is a little sad. So Michael Young is retiring, I should say semi-retiring, Sam from any major championships. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's kind of sad. He... Uh, The horse is 17 years old and just decided that he would do some CICs instead of long format CCIs. And now I think we're going to probably see him rocking around winning a bunch of CICs. He'll probably come here and kick a lot of our butts. But that was kind of sad. But it, you know, he's doing the right thing by the horse. So you can't ever fault anybody for that. Such a prolific career that it's amazing to me. Like, he's, he has lasted for a very long time. I mean, not that he's going to be completely retired. I realize he's still going to be competing at the upper levels, but 
I mean, that horse has had so much success and I think oh, it's yeah. a real testament to just the amount of care and it, it, horses do not last that long in the sport without like having, you know, really great confirmation, having a really great rider that rides them properly, having amazing, you know, staff of vets and grooms and everything. I mean, that's, uh, that's, I don't know. It's just so incredible to me that that horse. Well, just the horsemanship, like he's Absolutely. letting it kind of come out at the top. And I love that. I love that. You know, the horse gets to come have its three medals and now it can just have a lot of wins at other things and not really be like making it step up to the plate and saying, look, let's do some more long formats. So I think, I think I'm excited for it. You know, it's, it's a good thing and it's sad at the same time. It is sad. I feel like it's one of those things that the, the kind of gradual retirement that I think when when these upper level horses that have been their entire lives have been, you know, going and competing, when you sort of gradually retire them, it, it seems to me like they always do pretty well when they, we, you know, when these upper level riders kind of gradually pull them back instead yes. of like cold Turkey, toss them out in the field, pull a shoe, pull their shoes and be like, okay, um, well, see you later. These horses love their job. I mean, that's right. the thing is they love it. So to just say, no, you're not going to compete anymore at the upper levels. Like they don't want that as much as, going and doing it gradually. I think, I think the horses truly, truly love it. So I'm excited. So we'll get to see what he's going to do next. And then in other news, Justine down by your place, um, (laughs) of course, down in in Tampa, this is kind of the wow one. Um, did you know you could get a DUI on a horse at 3 PM on a Thursday? Oh my God. You know, what's sad is I knew that before the story came out. Oh, I don't want to know how you know that, but I love that this was 3 p.m. on a Thursday. Like, good lord, she, she was on an Florida. interstate, right? Like, she was on the even highway. On, like, yeah. So, yeah. Jess, explain explain the situation here. <laughs> this is incredible. So apparently, this lady was on a busy highway and got pulled over and arrested for allegedly riding her horse while drunk. Wow. I don't know. See, I have really conflicting feelings about this because part of me, (laughs) I know this is so bad, but part of me is like, like in Ireland, they ride horses to pubs and back. You know what I mean? Like people, I don't know. Obviously a DUI is like horrendous and you would never want to do that in a car. But like, I don't know. In some countries, they like ride to pubs and back, like they trail ride. So I'm not saying she did the right thing. I think it's extremely dangerous, not condoning her behavior at all, but. She well, and so she also got charged with animal neglect, you know, because yes. she was on like a Wait, highway. What? Yeah. Oh yes, because yeah. she put the horse in danger of being injured or killed because you're on a major highway. That's like you're not on the backcountry roads going to a pub and you rode two miles right. down the no, street. It's a like, very different scenario. Yeah, for sure. And so yeah, she it's really basically for the horse. Yeah, she got pulled over and she was dis- when she dismounted from the horse, she was staggering from side to side. Oh boy. Okay. So she didn't like trail ride down back roads no. or through a field to go have a pint at a bar the way that you know, some people do. No. Yeah, at that point like she wasn't caring how pretty your mimosas looked on your countertop. <laughs> okay, right? well that's was... a good measure of how drunk you are. <laughs> 
And also, it, it you know, I think this law varies from state to state. So you could, you know, potentially ride your horse drunk in Georgia and not get arrested for it. But in Florida, it literally is a state law. Like, you you can't ride an animal. <laughs> Wait, are you saying Georgia because, like, it's not a law in Georgia or just... No, I don't know. A different state? I didn't oh, okay. know. She's yeah, just saying yeah, yeah. she goes in Florida. I know it varies from state to state, but I know it is a law in Florida. But One you- of my favorite parts of this story is that the... <laughs> The article starts, nothing's unusual in Florida. A sheriff department spokesman said Friday. (laughs) But some things, like a woman arrested this week for allegedly riding a horse while drunk down a busy highway, are still surprising, even for Florida. I love that. That's so funny. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Donna, girlfriend, get it together. No bueno. We are, not, so, we are not riding our horses on highways, Donna. We are not doing no. that. And you're 53. You should know better. Get it together, yeah. girlfriend. Come on. You got this. Karen, what do you got for me? Well, I have some some nerdy science-y news because that's what I always love. You love um, that. I do. So, it. so this is really exciting um, and very – this is a big deal. Um, so – Obviously, the there has been such an enormous growth of understanding about regenerative medicine for soft tissue injuries in the past decade in, in large animal veterinary medicine and in sport horse medicine, but this is huge news. So um, a study was conducted in, oh boy, some Russian name that I can't say. Oh God, my fiance majored in Russian and is fluent in it. I should ask him, but I don't know how to say that. But a study in Russia (laughs) at two universities in Russia and then also the University of Nottingham in the UK, um, they did a study on injecting DNA into injured horse tendons and ligaments. And the findings were incredible. So they said that um, they found within two to three weeks, horses that had an injury to a tendon or ligament in their leg were sound at the walk and trot. Um, So... Uh, one of the, um, she's an assistant professor of anatomy and developmental genetics at the University of Nottingham, uh, said this pioneering study advances not only equine medicine, but has real implications for how other species and humans are treated for lameness and other disorders in the future. Um, So this, again, just reiterating that it's a big deal. Um, And then the scientists that led the study said, Advancing medication, relieving pain, and restoring function were the main aims of this study, and we have shown that these, all of these goals are possible and within a much shorter time span than treatments available at the moment. Um, in addition, we could use this type of therapy in other injuries and in many other situations ra- ranging from fertility problems to spinal cord injuries. Wow. So this is a finding that could affect all types of injuries, not just soft tissue injuries. Um, and again, this is just injecting DNA into tendons and ligaments to reduce lameness. Like that's what they're looking at now, but it's really exciting. I thought this was, this was super cool. Obviously there's, you know, all sorts of, um, you can inject all sorts of blood products into tendons and ligaments, um, you know, and stem cells, stuff like that. But, uh, DNA is, is kind of an interesting one. And, and, this study proved that it was very successful. So that's good news for people with uh, suspensory injury horses. Um, so Justine, your story is really cute this week. What, tell us about what this one is. 
So, all right. First off, have you guys seen Wonder Woman? Did you see it in theaters? No. What? Come on, girls. <laughs> no. I know. You I'm too? the freaking worst. Seriously. I haven't even seen, like, Lord of the Rings. I have seen zero oh, out of point zero yeah. movies in my existence it's okay so well there's like a million reasons why you should see this one don't let me list all of the feminist reasons why i'm ashamed to say i haven't seen it but anyway go on okay so this is a great story though so there's a young actress in the movie it's like a flashback to when wonder woman was young like growing up and uh, obviously the Wonder Woman culture, like on the island that they live on, they're like Amazon women who ride horses and are amazing and do like backflips off of horses and shoot bow and arrows like they're in- incredible equestrians. But so this little actress who played Wonder Woman as a child, her name in real life is Lily Aspel. She's actually a real rider in real life and not like just a, you know, she rides ponies around her yard. Like she's like a badass, like really good show jumper. So really? uh, yeah, she's so cute. She's 10 years old. And so actually she we ran a story about her on Heels Down Mag. So if you go to the website, you can read all about her and see some pictures of her riding. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes so everyone can go check out that story. That's but really she, cute. And there's photos. She's yeah. so cute. Oh my god, she's adorable. And her pony, it's like a blue roan little jumper pony. His name is Turbo. It's the cutest thing. Stop. Oh my god, I'm obsessed with that. That is so cute. I want a blue roan pony named Turbo. Do you think I'm too old for that? No. Oh no, I think we should find you one. But she's, <laughs> she's like a legit little show jumper. Like this yeah. girl knows how to ride. It's pretty cool. I love it. That's such uh. Such a good news story. I love that. Oh, that's so cute. Flippin' genius. The EcoGold Flip Half Pad is a one-of-a-kind solution for your horse's comfort and saddle fit. With a rainbow of colors for one side and traditional black or white on the other, the Flip Half Pad gives fun and functional a whole new meaning. Shop for yours at ecogold.ca. So I played golf yesterday and Doug pulled out one of the EIS shirts and it was, his was the heating one. Cause it was kind of cool in the morning when we started. Have you guys used those shirts? Um, I'm actually upset. I'm completely in love with these shirts before. Um, I mean, I've had these shirts for years. I don't know how many years that they've been out, but i bought them pretty close to when they started being popular, when they were, were released and started being sold, you know, in tax stores and everything. So for those that don't know what this is, it's Equian style. Um, so it's EIS, but their website is equi, E-Q-U-I, in style.com. Uh, and these are my favorite shirts to ride in, but I've also done you know all sorts of like outdoor other activities like I've gone hiking in them they're just they're super um like they're they're cute enough that you can wear them into you know go grocery shopping or whatever and you look like a normal human being but they're also proper athletic um athletic wear and athletic gear I'm crazy about these shirts I cannot say enough about them I've had them for years and years and years Justine I know I think you're new to these right so what did you think well, yeah, but, but have you guys used the heating ones yet? Because I've, I'm obsessed with the summer shirts. Like I've used those for years. The ones with the um, mesh under the sleeves. Like yeah. I ride in those like all the time. But yesterday it was a bit cooler and Doug had bought this 
heated one. And so then I got one and it's, it's got this technology where it's still UPF 50 plus, which is like great. Cause that's what I'm going to need Amazing. to go out in the sun, yep. but it actually like, it would help your body temperature. It like regulates it or something apparently. So I was like, well, I'll try it. Cause it'd get cool in the shade, but then I needed something that wasn't so thick when I go out in the sun to play golf and I wore them all day yesterday. I was obsessed. I mean, I did have a big belly and looked pregnant, but they were, they were I mean, I've, I've been obsessed with the summer ones, but I didn't even know they made these other ones. And it's just, it looks like a quarter zip, normal, cute athletic shirt, but they're incredible. Yeah, no, they're awesome. So I, sun shirts are nothing new, like you guys have said, but in Florida, you get like the fishing water sports mm-hmm. crowd that wear like yeah. the really ugly camo they're and or so like ugly. loudly colored <laughs> ones. And so I've always been afraid. Like, I'm like, I don't want to be part of that gross Florida crowd. But what I love about these is they're, they're, they are very professional, like riding looking, like you could tuck them in, in your breeches and like go to a clinic, I feel like, and dress them up. Or like I've, I've worn mine to the dog beach, you know, and it's still like nice and cool and you can wear with a pair of shorts and not look like an insane person out, you know, out in your riding clothes. I have no need to ever wear a warming one. So I've (laughs) never tried that. Well, (laughs) yes. And what I like about the EIS ones, because I have several, like I have Ariat, I have Noble Outfitters, I have Dublin, I have like all different brands of them, but and at first, like the Ariat ones have the the thing that go over your thumb. You know what I mean? They'll kind of like hold them in place on your hand. You know what I'm talking about? You like put your thumb through the hole. And they yeah, hold. yeah. Right. And I, I hate that. It always gets like yeah. soaking wet from slobber or whatever at the barn. And I just don't like it. And I, but the EIS one has like, it's not like elastic on the wrist, but they stay, the sleeves it's stay. It's almost like a cuff. Yeah. It's yeah, like almost a cuff on them. And they don't slide up and it, they're still very cool and comfortable and you can sweat in them or get like soaked by the hose and be dry in two seconds. They're great. Yeah, I, they they are amazing. And and just as far as, you know, going back to the sun shirts, like I had the same thing, Justine, too, because I was in North Carolina kind of when these came out and I was riding during the summer. And I, I specifically remember thinking how I wanted a shirt that was long sleeve because I would get a terrible, terrible farmer's tan. And I don't like for my son to be exposed to my skin to be exposed. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Skin to be exposed (laughs) to sun. I guess my wine is kicking in. Sorry guys. Um, all the time. And so I wanted something that had, you know, some sun protection, but I didn't want to look like, like what you said. Like, I didn't want to look like I was like part of duck dynasty either, which is like (laughs) all that was out there. (laughs) Like, well, the sun shirts are so fitting. Like they're actually flattering looking. They look so yeah. good. Like they make your boobs look really good. Like they are not too tight in the shoulders. Like they, nope. they're built for like athletic, you know, like people that want to move their arms and you know, you can, they're long enough that you can bend over. Oh my gosh. And your butt crack doesn't show because that is a real struggle. Oh my well, God. I'm like, after, during, I'm the hur- like during the hurricane when I knew like, I was mobilized for work being a newspaper reporter um, that I just like there, I had to go out in the field at some point. So I wore mine. I, all I did was wear sun shirts for three days in a row with like yoga pants and my muck boots from the barn. So I could like, cause I knew I was going to be out in a hot, humid, disgusting weather hurricane. Nice. And they were great. It was like the best thing ever. Yeah. Then, I mean, yeah. Like the new, the warming technology ones, um, 
I guess are new because these originally started as cooler. They would cool your body temperature down, but these, uh, the warming technology, it's called, um, self heating technology. And they're, they don't have the mesh underneath the arm, um, but they heat your body temperature apparently by five degrees and your movement generates the, the heating effect. So it's kind of like that reflective heat that, um, I believe like, you know, some of the therapeutic blankets that we use on our horses and stuff, that's kind of the same type of principle. And the other thing that I love about these, um, is that they don't stink after, cause you guys no. have, I'm sure had those yeah. shirts that you throw away after five times of using them because you, you know, wear deodorant and you sweat and then you wash them and then they smell horrific. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It smells like a murder happened in like, uh, like Under Armour store. It's disgusting. Oh my God. No, but these shirts, like I've, I've loved the summer shirts and they're great. Like I think I own every different color known to man from white to black to everything in between, you know, pink, red, every color they probably make. But you I say was red? Shocked. No, red, red. <laughs> oh. I probably just can't talk. I hope I don't have a bread colored oh, one. A bread colored shirt. <laughs> just what I've always wanted. <laughs> No, our colors are black and red. Perfect (laughs) gift this winter. Give them a bread shirt. The bread would not look as good with our colors when they're black and red. So I have red. So that we go, because that's what I go cross country in. In red or black? In the black one. So, okay, I have a question. This is a sidebar. But did, so you have adopted. Doug's red and black colors because they were originally Doug's right and then you are a kind human so you kind of started wearing them too or was it the other way around well so I refuse to pick the yellow I don't actually have a yellow colored shirt oh that's right because he is yeah he's also yellow that doesn't look good on us blonde girls it's not so nice yeah I don't even know what color yellow looks good on but whatever what kind of person (laughs) Apparently it's fine. We've actually toned down the yellow a lot. So when I first met Doug, he was in red and yellow only. Like I remember being like, we need to redo your home cover because this is horrible. Also for people that don't know Doug or know what he looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Number one of why we should change colors. Poor Doug. Oh my god, I, I cannot like even gets... believe you just said that. <laughs> we always pick on him on this show. Oh my god. Doug, he's such a good sport. Oh my he gosh. Is. Yeah, but like it is true. Like his complexion and his hair color with the yellow and red, like you gotta tone down that yellow, bud. I, mean, I like, think we should do like a throwback to like where you could maybe find this picture of it's like, like yellow red. jacket yellow too. It's like that neon yellow. Yeah. It wasn't like a pale, it wasn't a bread color colored yellow for sure yellow and so I was like um so I actually designed his helmet cover the one with the black and the red and then did stripe of yellow and I was like so this would look a lot better and he's like no it's fine he just you know admired Buck and it was mainly Bruce Davidson I guess is where his colors came from as a little boy so he was red and yellow like growing up and then I was like maybe we should make some black. So then his primary color became black. Well, my colors were navy and red and they always had been, but I wasn't really big in like the colors. I just kind mm-hmm. of was like 
plain whatever looked good more fashion sense than like more than about the colors so like my website was navy and red and I guess if you called it those were my colors like I'd wear navy shirts and white pants kind of thing so when we got married and we were kind of combining everything and the business was combining everything I said we do need to have like a uniform kind of logo everything so we actually changed our logo from he was DP equestrian I was half equestrian and we made it paint equestrian and he kept the yellow and we just did accents of yellow like small little things of yellow and then I dropped the navy because I was like navy and black like it's not far to like move over right, to the black right. yeah so just did one big thing. So like I did have to change like my show coat was Navy and stuff. So I did change kind of things like that and did the black with the red for myself. Yeah, no, that looks good. It looks sharp. I like, like it. My, yeah. And my, um, my helmet cover is black with just two red stripes. And then it actually has the mesh in the middle for the, um, the Charles Owen the mesh yeah. vents. So like I've got that and then he wanted the yellow. So he actually, he has the same helmet, but his doesn't have the mesh and he just has the silk racing one with the yellow in the middle. And so he keeps a little of the yellow. So we did kind of all compromise, but the black was mainly him. I like that when inventors get married to each other, they have so much more like compromise that they have to make than just like normal (laughs) married people. Yeah, it's not like, do we do a joint bank account or not? It's like, what colors do we do? Do we change our entire business name? Like, I love that. But uh-huh. like the the secret pro out of that is that you got to like buy new stuff. Like you said, you got rid of your yeah. navy coat. Well, you got to buy a new coat. So this wasn't like, oh yeah, no, I'll, I'll really have to. No, I had to buy all new stuff. It was incredible. <laughs> oh, that doesn't match anymore. Got to buy a new one. He's like, yeah. too bad. Anyway, but. EIS shirts, the moral of the story is EIS shirts are awesome. We all yep. love them. Go buy them. If you don't have them, get on our level. Go buy them. They're amazing. They really are. I don't know. They're my favorite. And I don't have to say any of this, but I'm just obsessed with them. And I think that they look amazing on everybody. So go buy them. The warming ones and the cooling ones. They're awesome. This segment is presented by TRM. Europe's largest manufacturer of nutritional feeds, supplements, and general healthcare products for horses. Available at Greenhawk. Visit greenhawk.com. So, Jess, there has been a lot of things happening on the internet um, regarding the really, really sad passing of uh, Boyd's Mount Crackerjack at Poe, at the Poe CI Four Star. Um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, first off, just massive, massive condolences to the owner of Cracker Jack, Lucy, and to Boyd, and to everybody involved with that horse, um, who unfortunately suffered a um, catastrophic injury at that in the cross country portion of that event, um, and was subsequently euthanized. Um, but as if that's not enough to happen and to kind of have to cope with there was an enormous social media backlash after this um terrible event so just just i know that you know you're deeply embedded in the uh, of course the eventing community and the upper level eventing community and you know good friends with boyd good friends with all of these people just 
walk us through a little bit kind of what 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 were some of the comments that were being made after this and sort of what the larger picture and larger discussion about eventing safety is following this event? Well, and I think first off, I think the important part of it is Cracker was Boyd's four-star horse. I mean, he was great. He was actually, um, he was a very good friend of mine. He passed away a couple years ago. It was actually his horse, Lucy's son, Colin. So it was very sad, you know, for poor Lucy, who's been a good friend of mine and the family for years. Um, incredibly sad. I actually was watching. He was having probably the best cross country run I've ever seen Boyd have on Cracker. And I've known this horse since it was a baby. So, you know, we were really cheering it on. And I think it's just important to note that the horse was just coming around like it wasn't a jump related. There was nothing wrong. Like there was not like Boyd missed to offense. It was a beautiful picture, perfect round, probably the best cross country round I've ever seen Boyd pit on this horse. It was beautiful. I mean, he was three fences from home. It and didn't just even was... look like it was hard for the horse too. Like, no, it, it, was, it, it, it was, he was just popping around. Like it this was horse beautiful. was not tired or labored or anything like that. No. And so I think it's so important for everybody to know, like this wasn't actually something that, you know, could have, I think, been prevented. Like there wasn't a bad jump involved. There's not, you know, any bad step you saw. As soon as the horse took a weird step, Boyd was incredible, jumped off the horse. I mean, you couldn't have done anything else, I think, and in that whole situation. So I think that's so important to actually state because the aftermath that came about is horrible because Demi Emerson, Denny Emerson then posted on Facebook, um, that he had heard of the passing of Cracker Jack because he Cracker's stallion was stood at Denny's farm for years. So he had like a personal connection. So he just said, you know, some really nasty comments about the safety and how the USEA and how people didn't they weren't doing enough. And I think that, yes, this sort this sport is so much safer than what it used to be. And they're not just saying this is the safest it can be. They're going about the USA goes about it. USEF goes about it. But every time there is a fall, every time there's a horse that's been put down off cross country, there's all these studies they're doing so much and they're continuing to do so much. And so I think it was a little unfair to attack saying that, you know, I can't believe Cracker died on cross country and that this sport is, you know, it's not as safe as it used to be where I don't think that's actually a true statement. And so it went into this big backlash on social media where everybody, you know, went back and forth at each other and it kind of got ugly and there were a lot of posts deleted. So then you couldn't really go back and see what was said before. So it kind of got mm -hmm. a little crazy, but you know, I think it's important for everybody to know, like, the accidents happen and this was one of them. And I don't think it should have been used as like a spotlight and saying, you know, it, it put, you know, everybody in the spotlight saying Boyd did this and he did nothing. So I think it's important that everybody knows that the USDA is doing stuff, but it's an interesting point now as a topic of, you know, my, Doug posted on Facebook and it was funny, like, he said, oh, let's donate to the USEA as a safety thing. And it's jumped a lot of people on at it. So it's a, it's a topic that needed to be talked about, absolutely. And there's more discussion. So it's been interesting because I think there's like already $1,600 like raised off, 
Dennis then wow. posted about how much the USCA goes about and like, you know, maybe we need to just stand up and people can get on boards, maybe donate money. And so it's raised a lot of awareness. Um, so it's interesting. It is, you know, so I actually talked to Doug about this exact topic, not, you know, like the Facebook flare up or Cracker Jack, but last year I wrote a story for Hillsdown magazine about safety and eventing because not to take away from Boyd in this terrible accident this time, but I feel like anytime there's an accident at the four star level, the, the same sort of like Facebook troll mentality comes up and people are pointing figures on you did something wrong and you did something wrong and not taking a whole big picture view of the sport on what everybody can be doing instead of blaming each other. I mean, yes. I talked I talked to Liz Holiday Sharp for the for that story, you know, and she lost her horse on yeah. uh, at a show. And I talked and we talked I know Doug's been on the task force for a while. I I talked to some course designers, which I think plays an interesting role when you're thinking about cross country and what are we doing as people to help our horses and asking uh, realistic questions of them. Uh, but uh, Jess, why don't you explain more about what the USCA Safety Task Force does and maybe what they've done so far in the past or what Doug's been involved with on actually making changes? Like I know there are more frangible pins and in, in certain jumps so that if a horse's leg legs hit them, they'll drop like a, you know, more like a show jumping rail. But what, what else is being done? Well, I think um, also, I think Caroline can say this, but every time there is a fall um, or an injury or death, the safety committee reviews it over and over. They get the footage, they review it and see how they can make that type of jump safer or that sort of situation not happen again. So they right. make sure not to try to actually have anything ever get repeated because you can only learn from what's happening. But at the same time, like you go, there's TDs involved. They walk the courses. Everybody gets, you know, especially at the CIC and CCI, like once you're at a CCI, you have a rider's meeting and you talk about the, you know, course and see you've got the rider represent the rider reps where they look and say, look, does this have a false ground line? You know, everybody walks the course before they go and saying, look, like, I think this is, you know, a fair question for the horses. And so it's, there's, they're doing that. And then the studies that are being done, like at the university of Kentucky, they're doing some studies and Caroline, you were on, you used to work for the USCA. And so you were on a lot of these phone calls. So what exactly, you know, into aspects of exactly what they do, do you have any more insight? So one of the things that just, I guess I want to bring people's attention to because I think that it's largely misunderstood and that is the roles of each organization in the overall production and execution and you know even like marketing everything all aspects of our sport so there's the USEA which is the national governing body it's the united states eventing association so that's only in the united states it's the national governing body of the sport then above that um the tier above that is the united states equestrian federation so that's the usef so they're the nationally gover governing body for equestrian sport so not just eventing but for all equestrian sport 
Then at the very top of the pyramid is the FEI. So what every time, first of all, when I worked for the USDA, every single time that there was any sort of um, major fall or injury to horse or rider, even in another country, even though I worked for the, the United States Eventing Association, even if it happened in another country, there was always information gleaned about why that accident happened, what could have been done to prevent it. Did it have anything to do with the footing or the course design or the way that that specific jump was constructed? Um, there's all sorts of studies, you know, that are being conducted, not only about um, things like, you know, frangible technology and collapsible fences, those are also being done, but even um, equine cardiovascular and pulmonary research studies done to try to understand why major cardiac events happen to horses. And as we all well know, that's of course not just an eventing, those happen you know, in, in all, all horse sports, um, you know, in show jumping, horse racing, every, you know, all horse sports, anytime a, a horse's heart is under stress. So I think well, every horse, every horse that is killed at a competition has to get a necropsy. And then absolutely. those reports go to yep. a vet who is actually reads the results and sees that and goes to the cardiologist study or the cardiology study to see, is there something that we could have done differently? It was the horse right. overworked. That is actually every time done. Absolutely. So there's always information that for every single time a catastrophic event, a catastrophic event happens, um, there is a very specific protocol that must be met. And there is a very specific system that all of that information has to work through. Part of that is an necropsy of the horse to try to understand what happened, what caused the death, because it isn't always clear when a horse dies on course or dies shortly after, which we've seen as well, shortly after competing, whether it's show jumping, whatever, all of that information is shared between disciplines. So it's, it's not, yes. we have to understand that, first of all, the USDA does not control the way that all events are run. Um, neither does the USEF, um, neither does the FEI really. I mean, it is, it is all, um, you have to understand that everything sort of builds and it's very much kind of a pyramid structure. I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, when I did work for the USDA, we got so many calls about, you know, why does this rule exist? And we would be like, well, well that's an FEI rule. So like, you know, there's, there is a real, um, lack of understanding. I feel about kind of who decides what. Um, but there's, there are so many studies being conducted and the thing about, you know, that, that was really kind of challenging for me to kind of understand and swallow with, um, the Cracker Jack incident was that that had, that injury did not occur at a fence. If it had no. occurred at a fence, it would, the, the, the conversation would have been about the course designer or the course, or, you know, it, it's every single time something happens, there's, it's, it's the same as like when there's, you know, a, a, a shooting in, in our country or whatever, there's just this, you know, there's a lull about what people are talking about kind of in between these events on social media. And then when an accident happens, this huge, you know, reaction takes place, but you need to understand that, um, 
And again, I don't work for them anymore. I don't have to say this. No one's paying yeah. me to say this. I don't, it, I'm just speaking as an inventor between all of those major outcries that, that take place when something catastrophic happens, there are people diligently working to improve the safety of the sport and the safety of riders and the safety of horses and the welfare of horses when no one else is talking about it. And Jess, I know that, you know, Doug is, is pretty deeply ingrained in all of that too, you know, constantly chipping away at it. And he even has an engineering background and has helped, um, do some frangible pin kind of concepts, right? Well, and also with, you know, collapsible tables and trying to get the research. And that's why it was so important, you know, for him to say, look, like if you want to support it, it'd be awesome if you could just support the USEA in helping with these studies, because that would be huge. And, you know, he does his part, you know, we donate, but also putting his time on the board of governors and the safety committees and all of this, because it is important to us. And I think that's what, you know, kind of rubs me the wrong way was Denny's post was, it was just poor timing, like had nothing to do with the course and the safety and everything else. Like it was inappropriate. And the fact to say, Hey, look, when crackers died, it had nothing to do with the course. And, you know, and to say that the USA is not have happened doing on anything, a gallop set. I mean, it could have happened it. in the paddock. It could have happened. Absolutely. And we've seen horses dropped out of, you know, heart attacks and major, they, they break their legs in the field. I mean, these things do, you know, they, they do happen. And sometimes they have nothing to do with the course. And, but then sometimes they do. I mean, we do need to recognize that as well. Like the sport is not foolproof at all. And there are, there have been times that horses and riders have gotten hurt in a preventable way. Yes. But I think that to say that the sport is is not safer these days is like so ludicrous to me because I've seen all of those statistics and I've I used to have to watch videos of like old events when it was eventing was even marketed as a thrills and spills sport. So to say it's not safer to me just blows my mind. You know, I've been behind, I've been behind the curtain and I've seen kind of the inner workings of this and I've seen the numbers and that's, it's just statistically even isn't true. Well, and it's just, you know, at least there are, I mean, there are boards and boards trying every day to make this sport safer and to say that there's not people working, I think is just unfair because, you know, there are boards for this exact reason. There are safety committees for this exact reason and they're not perfect and they're not, and they don't think that the sport is super safe now that they're, you know, it's their job's done. They're working every day to keep, keep it safer and keep it and they're the ones that are chipping away, you know, in between all of the social and media. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think at the, at the end of the day, nobody wants riders to get hurt. Nobody wants horses to get hurt. And when you have a face, a Facebook of all places, like when you have a yeah. Facebook um, meltdown where you're publicly like accusing people and, you know, pointing out things that they've you know, done in their past or accidents that they've happened, that they've had happen to them. And I mean, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's nuts. They all need to come to happy hour and have a drink and like cool it a little bit because it gets so volatile. And regardless of what happens, I don't see how progress is ever made when people are pitted against each other that way. So, I mean, really, I don't know if you want progress to be made in the sport, like I don't think a divisive, 
attitude and voice is going to be the thing that spurs that change. I feel like there needs to be some sort of algorithm on Facebook that like you have to answer like five very sanity questions down to questions before they let you post some crazy rant and they make you seriously think about what you're doing and then go, you're right, Facebook. It's not worth it. It's like it's like I'm that. Go outside and pet my dog instead. Yeah, I'm gonna. Go Somebody wanted that breath. to be an email. They said, "I want my email at ten o'clock every night, <laughs> shut off, so I can never respond to an email like past ten o'clock because I can't Seriously. say anything good past ten o'clock." One hundred percent. I love that. Jeez. Well, thanks for sharing, Jess. I know that that's like a tough story for you personally, and you know, I mean. Justine has such a great insight because she, you know, did such an amazing article on eventing safety and really recapped, you know, all of those issues. And then, you know, I have some kind of behind the scenes experience with eventing safety as well. So at the end of the day, it it kind of like doesn't, it it doesn't even matter because treating people like that is completely inexcusable. And it, it was coming from both sides. Like, let me be clear. I'm not villain, you know, vilifying any one person. It was coming from both sides. And like, Let's just let's have just, a drink and be happy. Let's just calm <laughs> down. Like, let's make progress in a in a kind, supportive way. This segment is presented by Revitavet, the number one name in equine preventative maintenance and rehabilitation. Find out more at revitavet.com. All right, guys. So we got a really great couple of questions from a reader. Her name is Danny. And she's a listener, and we're so happy that you listen to our show. But she had some really interesting questions that I think all three of us can talk about that we've all had some experiences with. So I'm going to read her questions. And then, Jess, I think you should start since uh, you are the trainer and have ridden many, many, many horses. So uh, Danny asks, um, one, she wants us to talk about green horses and, and tips for a rider taking on a green horse. She wants to know what are our aha moments in clinics or lessons, and when we're pursuing a young green horse and bringing it along, what do we struggle with, and how do we, you know, kind of achieve the goals that we want with that horse in that moment? So I guess like if you have a young horse that you're struggling to teach them a certain concept, how do you achieve that eventually? Um, and any advice you have to ch- that help change your writing for the better? Um, and she, she makes a note here that I totally agree with a person can only read George Morris so many times. <laughs> and when you're reading something, I mean, the first, the first t- thing I, whenever I have a problem with a young horse, I'm like, oh man, I just cannot get this through his head. The first thing I do is like turn to the internet and start reading for training tips. But she's got a good point. Cause sometimes it's like, I just know I need to call my trainer, you know, like it, I don't think there's ever a replacement for taking a lesson or calling your trainer and getting advice or actually seeking out a professional. But um, I know both of you guys have ridden plenty of green horses. So Jess, what are your tips? Um, Well, at any stage of it, I always try to just take it back to the basics. So meaning you're not going to do anything, but start at the walk, start at the trots, you know, just don't do anything but like circles and see how you, how much you need to go back to the basics of the horse. Some of them are further along, some of them, and age doesn't really matter half the time, you know, even their experience can play a little bit into it. But a lot of times you just have to go back and make sure, are they accepting their contact? Are they willing to move off your leg? Are they, you know, responsive to your leg? 
And just taking it back to that and seeing where you really need to start from. Are they fussy in the bridle? A lot of ours, when we start them off, we start in big rubber bits. So you make sure they want us, you know, we want to encourage us out a soft mouth and making sure they want to accept your aids. So a lot of that is just taking it back there. And then, you know, it really depends on the type of horse of what you're going at. But as long as you can kind of break it down that they can understand it. So same thing, like with the jumping a little bit, like we'll either go and say with the jumping, make it really kind of technically hard, but physically easy. So the horse always understands it. Or if you're going to jump a little bigger where it's a little bit more physically hard for it, make it technically easy. And when I say that, like if the jump's a bit bigger, don't come off a short approach to it. Make sure that they can see it. Make sure the distance is set pretty like there. So I think, you know, with you guys, what kind of, when you're bringing on young ones, what do you kind of face? Like Caroline, when you have a young one, what do you always kind of get stuck with? Or is there something, because with us, we just basically break it down and kind of go off Doug and I, what do you kind of think when you're doing the horses to the basics? Well, I always get stuck with the young ones because I can't afford anything else. So yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> so yeah. I think that um, I think that we're really in the same boat as a lot of people, where we uh, can't buy, you know, a, something a little further along. We can't buy an eight-year-old that's you know already done up to a certain level. So we typically uh, get. I don't want to say stuck, but kind of stuck um, with the younger horses because that's sort of what we can you know, afford, but I actually spent, um, a lot of time, uh, breaking horses with like a long kind of under the tutelage of a professional and, um, bringing along young horses. And, and most of my riding has been done on younger horses that I've either developed myself or, um, you know, that have gone on to be sold to, to other homes. Uh, and the biggest thing about for me that I have had to sort of struggle with or kind of um, overcome or like my aha moment with riding young horses has been, it can become such a confidence killer. I think if you, you know, ride nothing but young horses and you don't feel very confident in yourself and you know, in your ability and your, in yourself to do it. Um, and I had a really, really great, um, sort of mentor when I was doing a lot of sort of breaking young horses. And he essentially said, you know, if you are not 150% confident, then your horse is, you know, going to 100% sense that and you're going to dig yourself into a hole. So like, even if you are not quite sure, um, you know, about what kind of reaction your horse is going to have to a certain element that you're introducing them to, uh, you know, if you're going out and hacking them and you're leading them over a stream or whatever. Uh, he was like, I find that you are so much more successful in every aspect of young horse training when you at least exude confidence. And it's the same thing as it's, it's the same thing as, you know, so many other aspects of life where it's like you fake it until you make it. Um, you know, hearing that, that essentially I could boost my success rate with developing young horses just by essentially feeling like I knew what I was doing and this horse is going to react in a way that's positive and not being, you know, set off by baby horse antics and not letting that kind of get to me. It took a lot of practice. I'm not, um, somebody that, 
uh, has been that was born gutsy and was born born fearless and you know doesn't care about anything that a horse does under me and I just you know I didn't grow up uh, I wasn't born learn you know learn knowing how to sit cool on a horse when it's you know being a jerk um, it's really something that I had to teach myself so you can learn it um, that's a skill and a mindset um, that you can sort of practice and develop I do think that, you know, it's a little bit what Justine touched on though. Um, the, the environment that I learned that in was under this kind of tutelage and mentorship of people that were better than me and people that knew how to do it more than I did. So I do think that, you know, what Justine said, there's no replacement for a trainer. Um, if you're ever feeling unsure, it can just be a huge confidence boost to have somebody that knows more than you do say, you can do it. Like this horse is not going to, you know, ditch you the first time that you introduce it to a Liverpool, you've done the homework, you've, you know, set them up for success. Like, you know, have some faith in yourself, like act super confident. Um, you know, I think that that mindset is really important with young horses. Well, and I think also, yeah, I think that's the big thing because so many people get more nervous about it. And it's, it's not just young horses too. Cause I think it's the same thing. I mean, like we have a field full of babies because we can't afford to buy, you know, the super, super expensive ones. So, you know, we buy them and break them every year. We break them. You know, we have one, his name's Carl. He'll be broken next week. Basically. Carl. Carl. I love Carl. Carl is Carl's amazing, but there's a field full of babies. And every year we break them at the end of their three-year-old year in November, December, when it starts to become downtime, they come out of the field. Last year we had DC and Max come out. And then this year we've got Carl and, you know, we have, that's kind of the string of them. And it's not just the babies, but I think it's important. That was an interesting point to say, you know, we get comfortable around them. So we Mm -hmm. kind of have that and we're like, Oh, you know, next baby again, next baby again. And we start from like the very basic, I mean, you know, on the ground, leading them, feeding them, you know, while you're like leaning over to make sure. And so that they get comfortable with their person and with us riding them. But I think it's important to say, you know, we're comfortable with it, but it is interesting to get somebody else's point that says, Oh, look, like it can be scary because it comes natural to us because we do it so many a year that, to take that into account and say, look, like it really is that important to have that confidence because then they know that you're the one in charge too. Well, and go slow. I mean, the biggest thing I've learned as someone like you guys since college, I've just ridden green horses, pretty much only green horses since I graduated because I was just fortunate, you know, I just felt lucky that I could get a ride on something for a long time. And I've owned green horses. And the biggest thing for me was always trying to slow myself down. Like I'd have Mm -hmm. one good ride. And then in my brain, I was already planning like, okay, great. He's got this down. And now if he, you know, by our next ride, I can be thinking about when can we be planning our, our first show in a month. And it's just, you can't think that way. You can't (laughs) think that way. It is so not linear. It is so one step forward, two steps back sort of thing. And I think that the biggest, the biggest thing for me as, you know, an amateur now that is not riding full time and, um, you know, isn't riding five horses a day, it's really hard to look at like the professionals that have horses going preliminary or, you know, whatever by, you know, seven years old, six years old. 
it's really hard to see that and, and think that what you're doing with your green horse is enough. Um, and you have to just realize Go back to the basics. that that is, it doesn't matter. I mean, it really has like nothing to do with it. There have been so many horses that have gone on to be amazing horses and had amazing careers that weren't developed until they were, you know, nine or 10 years old. I mean, it does no. happen and it doesn't, it's better to go too slow than to go too fast. So like if you see somebody else that you're like, Oh crap, like they have their, you know, eight year old, you know, jumping a meter, you know, a meter 10 or a meter 20 already. And I'm only doing two foot six. Like it's so irrelevant because I mean that horse, you know, like that horse could have a completely different psyche and mindset and physical ability than, and that rider might have a completely different, like they might have, you know, not a ton going on at work or, you know, they're a full-time professional. Compare, I think you can only compare yourself to the day before, basically you want to yeah. grow so true. every yeah. day well, and grow little bitty steps, like, and little steps are sometimes huge steps, you know, in hindsight you go, Oh, well actually that little step and you know, what you expect every day to be a little bit more yeah. is huge. And so if you can grow a little bit every day, that's massive than saying I went two steps forward and five steps back. You just want every day to be a progression and that every day mm -hmm. you get better with the horse. And so with my green, my greenies, like when I feel there are days are going to be frustrated. That's just like natural, like how you get frustrated Absolutely. with your coworkers or your boss or your husband, whatever. So I still try to find other things to ride. And I, cause I think that I, I get Good more point. insight from, Hey, can I sit on your fourth level horse, you know, just for 20 minutes and go hack it out. And then you're like, you fine tune your own skills cause you're riding something with an education. And then I take that back to my green bean horse uh, which, which it's almost like a, I don't want to say a blank slate, but you come back with a renewed sense of confidence with new ideas of, oh, well, I noticed when I sat on this horse and put my leg this way, maybe I need to focus more on my seat. And also I videotape everything, everything. I videotape everything. And it is amazing mm -hmm. the progress you can see if you do that, even from week to week. And then I could see, I could feel something, but I can't see it from the ground. So I can feel something. And then if I have my husband or someone at the barn videotape that, I can see how my horse is reacting to what I'm doing. And that kind of reinforces, all right, that's, I should continue asking him this much, or I should back yeah. off and do something different. I think it's, if you can't afford to be with a trainer all the time, or if you have your horse in your own yard, if you're doing this and you have a full-time job doing something else, just these like, I don't want to call them cheats, but little tips are ways that you can continue to do this on your own. I really love the point about sitting on something that is more educated and further along and not, you know, not as nerve wracking as the horse that you're riding, because that is, that is so, that can be such a game changer. And if you feel stuck with a green horse, I would highly recommend, you know, trying to, whether it's your trainer's horse or your friend's horse or whatever, trying to find a situation where even once, you know, once or twice a month, you know, once, once a week, something like that, you are sitting on a horse that can show you how it is supposed to feel. Like one of the most amazing, like kind of aha moments that I ever had was when Kelly Temple, who is, um, you know, I was a working student for her. She's long time, even though I don't take regular lessons from her anymore. I still consider her my trainer cause I love her. Um, she said that nothing can teach you more than sitting on a horse that can show you how it's supposed to feel. And I think that that is 
like, I was like, like mind blown, like that. So, and she gave me that opportunity and it totally changed the way that I rode green horses. Cause I think when you only ride green horses, you know, you get used to things feeling a little unbalanced. So you'd become a little bit less sharp to when a horse is, you know, leaning on their right shoulder or they're, you know, swinging their haunches out this way, or they're really heavy on the forehand. And then you sit, you know, when you sit on a horse that's more educated, you're like, oh my God, this is how it's supposed to feel. And like, you can a little bit start to ride that green horse more like a real, a real horse, quote unquote, like a, you know, a little bit more of an educated horse. But it's also and just a good break. So sometimes, you, yeah. sometimes you just need a break too. Like, well, okay, just I just need to, to go and, differently. Yeah. I just need to go and ride and I'll have to think about, am I untraining my horse? If I'm you need not to get away from your toddler. Yeah. yeah. So it's always find something to ride. Yeah, sometimes I like, mommy I like honestly, I like the video as well, what Justine was talking about, because send it, you know, if you do have a friend that knows a little more than you are also just a second opinion that some of you obviously yeah. you trust that you do, but send it to them, you know, like I have students that, you know, will send me a little clip. And if I know some of them, I know really well, but I think that you can say really quickly, if you just get that one piece that you could just send it off to them that that could help. And so that's an interesting point when saying you always video it is sending it off. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. I like that, that too, because it's kind of the same thing as like when you go on a diet and you're like, I don't know if this is working, what's happening. And then you see like pictures of yourself and you're like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, really, I really am looking skinny. This is so, much better. And it just, it's like a boost of encouragement. And so. that's the biggest thing I think when you're riding green horses is it can be, it can be a confidence killer. Um, and so, you know, knowing that you're progressing even in tiny, tiny little steps or, you know, sitting on a different horse that like that, Justine, that's such a great tip. Like that can really change your mindset. You just well, stick with it. You stick with it, Danny. Keep going. Danny, keep going. We're rooting for you. Send Danny, us your, also send us you your videos. Freaking yeah. Love you, Danny. You're the best. Heels Down Magazine is your one-stop shop for all things equestrian. We put the freshest stories right at your fingertips in our digital magazine. From the latest news stories to useful riding exercises, we've got every rider covered, all without ever having to put down your phone. Download the newest issue today on iTunes or Google Play. All right, ladies, it's time for Rose and Thorn. I'm not going to explain it this time like Caroline always does because you guys should know what the game is by now. If so, you don't know what the game is, go back and start an episode one, girlfriend, because you have a long way to come. <laughs> All right, so I'll go first. I'll give you guys some time to think, okay? So actually, I don't even think I have a thorn. I just think I have two roses. I hope that's That's okay. not the game. Ugh! Okay, fine. All right. So my rose is I went and saw a live taping of another podcast that I feel like since this is a podcast, I should talk about another podcast. Um, Caroline, I know you're a fan, but my favorite murder. Uh, my I don't, favorite people in the world. I it is that. a really awesome, silly, funny, great podcast for people who are like obsessed with weird true crime stuff. So if you're like get hooked on murder shows and stuff, then you should really listen to their show because it's wonderful. And they're actually, their podcast is blown up so crazy big that they're on this U.S. tour and doing live tapings of their shows. And I got to see one and it was awesome and had a really wonderful time. So uh, I guess my thorn, this could be a rose or a thorn, since you guys are making me do a thorn, is I think I'm taking 
my uh, thoroughbred to a horse show this weekend, which could very well be a thorn. <laughs> that, you use that as a thorn? <laughs> oh my it's his first God. horse show ever. So, Yay! And when he wins crossed. a bunch of ribbons, you're going to be Fingers like, that crossed. was a thorn? He's feeling a lot better that he he jumps like he's a completely different horse now. So like fingers crossed that I just keep my butt in the top. That okay. is a thorn, but okay. <laughs> You're gonna do fine. Mikey's gonna be a champ. I just know yeah. It. It's I can't be believe you use that as a thorn. You're so funny. I don't know. Sometimes I do that too, where like I like say something's gonna be really terrible to like try to shift my luck a little bit, and then it <laughs> ends up being awesome. So I I feel you. All right. That's good. We'll see. Okay, so Caroline, what's yours? Um, I think that my rose is, I will do a thorn, but I'm going to do a half and half rose. So my first half of the rose is that we did set a date for our wedding, which is, and we got the venue that we wanted. So that's really exciting. It's going to be in July in North Carolina. So <laughs> God bless all the people that come <laughs> celebrate our wedding with us. Woo! Um, so planning a wedding in eight months is a little stressful, but we're going to do it. And so that's really exciting. And then also I just had a great, um, lesson with just your mother-in-law, um, with Marilyn Payne, who I take lessons with up here in New Jersey. I just had a good lesson with her and there's just nothing better than having a good lesson. Is the thorn your lesson? I still am not getting which ones you guys thorn. No, that was my rose. I just had a great lesson and there's just nothing better than having a good lesson. My thorn is that what's my thorn? I don't know. I'm pretty lucky in my life. Uh, my thorn is that my dog has a hot spot that she won't stop licking. And like, I hear her licking it at night and she's like, like it's that, the most that is literally disgusting sound. And it makes me want to die. But then I tried putting the e-collar on her and she acted like I was trying to decapitate her. It was <laughs> the most dramatic. She started screaming and throwing herself <gasps> on the floor. <laughs> she is me in dog form. <laughs> It's that's nothing incredible. but drama. That is incredible. Um, so that was that's my thorn is that my dog has like this. Okay. If you have some sort of, it, she has a lit granuloma. So if you're out there and you know the magic way to cure a lit granuloma, please, Lord, email us or tweet whatever us. Hello at Heels Down Media or I don't know Facebook messages, whatever. Because I am so desperate at this point. That's my thorn. Jess, what about you? So my rose was, I had a really fun baby shower this past week. A bunch of my friends came in town and friends that live here. So that was fun. We had a bunch of people at my mom's house and my mom and two of my friends threw me an incredible baby shower and Hudson got a lot of cool gifts. So that was pretty fun. Yes, that was it. And then I don't really have a thorn. Doug's gone right now. I guess I could be like sappy. That's kind of you sad. are almost nine months pregnant. I just have it a really hard time believing you don't have a thorn. <laughs> that sounds like a I'm thorn. Seven and a half months pregnant, and he's getting bigger. That's I mean, he's nine. You are the you are the happiest, most chill pregnant person I've ever met in my life. Just let me just say that when I am pregnant, no, if we have like podcast listeners, they will unsubscribe so fast when I get pregnant because I will just not be as nice as you. Like I will be a holy terror. I don't he's know how you're so doing easy. this. It's not like it's 
Yeah, I mean, that's baby. Like, you're such a champ. You're a woman warrior. It's not. It's not bad. Like it really, like it's. I mean, well, my, we'll have that conversation after really. you give birth. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's gonna change. be my thorn probably in a couple of weeks, but <laughs> hopefully, like two months. But seven uh, weeks away, hopefully, is when then that's my thorn. But I don't. Yeah, Doug's gone, so that's sad. He's teaching in clinics, so I'm at the house by myself. So that's kind of that's my thorn this week. Oh, that's sweet. Oh. Wow. Yeah. If you enjoyed our show today, uh, you should rate, review, and subscribe because that does amazing, wonderful things for us and just makes us smile also. Um, And you can also check out Heels Down Magazine. It's an interactive digital magazine on your phone or tablet, so you can take it anywhere, on the plane, wherever. You can read Heels Down Magazine even if you don't have Wi-Fi, which is a really great, interesting point. Um, and you can also download it on iTunes or Google Play and check out our website at heelsdownmag.com. We will be releasing episodes of Heels Down Happy Hour on the second and last Fridays of each month. And did you know that you can get the Horse Radio Network app on your iOS or Android phone? Search for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. And it's super easy to use and free, which is our favorite thing of all time. We love free stuff. So we have been getting a lot of really awesome questions from our listeners and we are working our way through those and we're researching a lot of them so that we can give you guys a really awesome answer. If you want to send us a question that we will talk about on the podcast, you can email us at hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Again, that's hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Send us your questions. We'll talk about them. Thank you for all the people that have sent us awesome, really interesting questions and some hilarious emails and memes. We really, really love them. So keep them coming. We like them a lot. Um, And so, guys, what are we going to cheers to this week? You picked a date. I picked a date. I did. Okay. um, So cheers to... And your fabulous lesson with Marilyn. Well, cheers to those two. Cheers to, well, and it was on my green horse. So let's cheers to green horse progress. Perfect. All right. Those two. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.